Welcome to the Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? We'll be joined by RotoWire's Jerry Donavidian. What a piece of that championship! Put it in here. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Let's get it started with PJ. And welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. I am PJ. Again, you can always subscribe to the podcast. You'll get those episodes right away when we get them uploaded to you. And also follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. In moments, we'll be joined with RotoWire.com's Jerry Donabedi. And take a look at some guys that are rising up the draft board as well and get you ready for your draft. A lot of them coming up this weekend. But first, I want to go over an epidemic I am noticing doing mock drafts this week. That is defense and kickers going way too early in the draft. I'm seeing runs start in the 8th and ninth round. And I think I know what's going on here. People are trying to fill out their roster before they approach their bench situation. Don't do that. There's so many injuries that happen these days. you got to have an adequate bench. And you can save off those defensive and kicker guys all the way into the last rounds. Just look at the value you're passing up on your bench. I know the Bears defense, 250 points they put up in fantasy. They smoked every defensive team. They're ranked number one in all books all across the board right now. I understand that fact. But you got to think of the guys that you're passing up. You're going to need depth at running back. Take a guy like Philip Lindsay. Wasn't even drafted in most leagues last year. He put up 214 points. So if you have a guy like that still on the board hanging out, and Lindsay is kind of falling a little bit this year, I've noticed. I mean, if he's around in that time frame, you got to grab him instead of a defense. Other guys that I've noticed that are hanging around that late when the defense starts, Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I know he's going to be out with injury, but he put up 190 points last year. I mean, that's a guy, another quality production guy you could have on your bench as a backup. Other guys that are hanging around, Tevin Coleman, new situation in San Francisco. Again, he put up 184 points by comparison last year. Adrian Peterson, he put up 182. Now, again, I know his situation a little more complicated this year than last year, but I'm just going as the point that there are quality guys on the bench that are putting up more points or equivalent to the defense that these rounds are going in the 8th and ninth round with these runs. you got Emmanuel Sanders with 171 points last year. Lamar Miller, who has been lasting late in the drafts, 167 points. I mean, by comparison, if you look at that number, that's as much points as the Seattle defense put up last year. That's more than the uh, Los Angeles Chargers put up last year. Other defenses that are usually around the top 10. So again, you've got good quality guys that you can start building your bench on, but they're getting passed up because these defensive and kicker runs, they are starting so early, in my opinion, in the 8th and ninth round just to fill out the roster of your starting spots. You don't have to take them that early. And again, we covered this with Jim Coventry, rotowire.com, earlier on our yearly redraft special. Usually the number one defense, it is not the number one defense the next year. Yes, the Bears, 250 points, very impressive. But you got to remember, they lost their defense coordinator, Vic Vangio. He's now the head coach in Denver so there might be a fall off there and that system changing. So again, you got to put that in account. We thought the Rams were going to put a huge year up last year and and they did good. They put 205 points on the board and that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's fantastic. They were the second most points in fantasy last year, but not the numbers we thought they were going to put up and where people were drafting them last year. Uh, New England defense, 195 points. Baltimore, 191. And then Houston with 190 points. So, I mean, considering you're trying to round out your team and build the bench, there's better players out there, I believe, and better values than grabbing a defense right away. So maybe you might want to look at a younger defense. You know, if you stay off the defense, 
The runs are happening, but you're going to try to build your bench first. Some defenses I would look that are hanging around there. San Francisco's defense, you know, they got Bosa out there now, the first-round draft pick. Uh, they've been building that defense for a couple of years now with young, talented guys. San Francisco might be a look you want to look at. Dallas, their defense has been uh, hanging around there as well. You know, they got the great linebacker Jalen Smith as well there. So, I mean, Dallas, they might be one team to look at, too, for defense. Uh, the New York Jets, in fact, in one of my leagues, they led the league in scoring last year. <laughs> That's how weird that scoring system was. But the Jets, another great young defense that you might want to consider coming into this year. So, again, think of those young defenses that could be on the rise this year because, again, you don't want to get disappointed and take that defense in the eighth round and all of a sudden a guy that you could have had on your bench blows up, has a huge year, but you were just following the trend of picking that defense or that kicker. That's even worse. Don't get me on the kicker stats because the kicker stats are even worse. The the high here we go. I'm gonna get on it. The highest scoring kicker last year, Kymie Fairbam of Houston, 170 points he put up. Again, that's only 170 points for kickers. And on your bench, I was reading guys that were scoring 20 plus more points on that that were still hanging around in the draft that could be pivotal points on your bench right now. So again, don't fall into that defensive and kicker run. I know it comes. You see those top defenses and kickers come off the board, but don't fall for the trap. That's that's my advice to you. Stick with filling out your bench, kicker and defense. They can wait. They can wait to the last two rounds. I usually don't pick them until about 15, 16. I got to build that bench up because history tells me I'm going to need them, especially down the stretch. Now, joining PJ in the Fantasy Football Zone, Rotowire's Jerry Donabedian. Fantasy Football Zone. Again, we are talking with Rotowire.com's Jerry Donabedian and a lot of drafts coming up. Exciting times here. We're trying to mock out best we can, prepare for all the scenarios. That's why we're here to help you out as well. And, yeah, this is exciting times, isn't it, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, uh, preseason games coming up here, the ones where they play the starters a little more. Uh, so pretty much every year we see, like, one or two big injuries that uh, happen that kind of, you know, impact some guys moving up or down at the last second. I think more coaches are kind of uh, moving away from actually playing the key players, especially, maybe not benching all their starters, but definitely with some of the younger coaches that we see now, they don't really have that idea of treating the third preseason game like a dress rehearsal. They're more just concerned keeping their guys healthy and confident that what they've done in practice will hold up in the regular season. So maybe we see a little less of that this year, but there's still going to be that one injury. Right now, Jerry, I want to talk about some guys that are rising up the draft board. Maybe in early August, when you're looking at the rankings, they weren't quite on the radar, but because of training camp, maybe they outperformed the situation they were in or injuries, their stock is starting to rise. Who are some of those guys you're looking at? Well, definitely the one guy that stands out in the last week or two that's really gone up is Kalen Ballas, the Dolphins running back. He had some hype even like you know, back a month ago and even deeper into the offseason. I think that you know, everyone was you know, looking at Kenyon Drake as being the top guy in that backfield. Ballas, who was really getting like the most carries and splitting the starting offense work with Drake. The Dolphins aren't sure if he'll be back for week one or not. It looks Looks like he might be, uh, but either way, it's sort of another question mark surrounding Drake. Guy we've seen be pretty productive with his touches, uh, but sort of a sort of a hit or miss style. Lots of long plays, lots of zero yards, 
on yard gains, losses. So uh, Ballard might be a little bit similar in that regard. Uh, he's a guy, I think, where I can see why he's moving up just because the Dolphins may not really have enough to take carries. But you look at you know him being a fourth-round pick last year who was pretty raw, only played a little. Uh, and then he's going to be coming in behind a bad offensive line facing the Ravens week one, Patriots week two. And then after that, the Cowboys and the Chargers. Even if he gets the work, it's going to be a tough situation to really convert into yards and touchdowns. And I read a clip from Miami coach Brian Flores that, yeah, Ballage is going to be the guy while Drake is out. So, I mean, if you're looking for a starter, and we see it all the time in the NFL, if you produce, sometimes they don't take it away. So, I mean, he could be a steal that late in the draft. Yeah, yeah. I think that really they sat him for the second week of the preseason. Like they gave him kind of the, the superstar treatment. Yeah. Like, you know, this guy's important to us. That was a pretty clear signal along with the practice reps that he strikes out like Ballard is going to be the guy. He's going to be on the field. He's going to get targets. He's going to get a bunch of carries. I just when you're talking about a bad offensive line, bad quarterback, and a really tough opponent early in the season that you know, he's not going to be able to do a ton with the work. Maybe you're okay with him, like, as, you know, an RB2 or RB3, probably more RB3 range early in the season. But I just wonder if, even though they don't have much else behind him, do they just turn to someone else if he struggles? And I think when you look at especially a week one matchup against the Ravens defense followed by the Patriots, it just seems very likely to me that he's going to struggle. He might be down around, like, three yards per carry. And the thing with Ballage right now, I, I did a couple mock drafts, and this is 14-team league. And he was still there on the tenth, eleventh round, so you can get him pretty late. Yeah, I think I actually, I actually did um, in like one of these best ball slow drafts. It kind of does like every four hour picks takes place over a few weeks. I actually picked him up in one draft, which you know you can probably tell based on my talking. This isn't someone I'm really excited about. Yeah, uh, but I think once you get to it's picked. 127 and the other guys are like part of a you know they're the third guy in a three-man committee and it's like well i may not believe in ballage's talent i may not believe that he's going to be efficient with the work but at least i know he'll get the work you know we've seen plenty of guys who maybe on 20 touches they only get you know 65 70 yards but you know that's something and if he can punch in a lucky touchdown here and there it's like you know i i wouldn't expect a big season from him but i think there'll be some productive along the way well that's what we're looking for though in the draft too especially that late if you can get a guy that's you know potentially going to be the starter that late i mean the value in that pick is just off the charts right right especially uh if he's you know especially when it's a guy like Ballard where the early season workload looks pretty secure it's more that we're worried about what happens to him as the season goes on uh that you know if you draft a guy like that that you really need to fill out a spot and put him in the lineup it buys you some time to work the waiver wires and see what happens and obviously running back especially as a position over the years where there's going to be a handful of guys every season who nobody's thinking about drafting now who throughout September and October everyone all of a sudden wants. Uh, so it's kind of a position where I love to have that like one stud running back I can really trust. You know, the mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner, those types of guys. But I'm okay with kind of hunting that second spot, taking someone even like a Kalen Ballage, Matt Breda, and then playing the waiver wire there throughout the season. Like I almost feel there's more upside for what you can find there than there is at tight end or wide receiver. And, and your example is uh, going the waiver wire perfect because the guy that's rated either two or three on the board, Elvin Kamara, he was that guy about a couple years ago. He was he was right, on right. he was on that waiver wire the first four games, and then after they came off the bye week, he was everything for the Saints. Yeah, that was that was uh, like the ultimate uh, guy who goes undrafted. I think I remember I was in one league. 
where Todd Gurley was like the other huge guy that year that won people leagues, and he was a second round pick. Yeah, I remember I was in a league with one guy who had Kamara Gurley, and he also had picked a running back in the first round. I don't remember; it might have been Lashawn McCoy. But he, the his first round running back, also had a huge season. So he had like three of the top four running backs that year. Just yeah. the most ridiculous, unbeatable team that you'll ever see. What other running back do you see rising up the board right now? Another guy who I just mentioned actually was Matt Breda, uh, okay. and along with him, Tevin Coleman, the other healthy Forty Nineers running back. And that's uh, you know very directly a result of Jarek McKinnon still dealing with recovering from the knee injury from last year. They haven't ruled him out for week one, but there's already chatter about injured reserve. So it's basically one where we have no idea, you know, what McKinnon's contribution is going to be, if any. And that San Francisco situation, that's a hard one to guess because I know, too, they drafted Jalen Hurd. Now, he's a rookie coming out. Uh, He could get some touches at running back. I see him as kind of a McKinnon type, a very fast player, but they got listed as wide receiver. So, I mean, there's got a lot of guys fighting for touches in that San Francisco offense. Yeah, I think generally whether it's Hurd or whether it's their other rookie receiver, Debo Samuel, whether bounce back here from Marquise Goodwin, the second-round pick, Dante Pettis last year, and then, of course, George Kittle, who's their, you know, their number one guy on offense, the guy that's going to lead them in targets. You look around, and there's just, even with McKinnon out of the picture, there is a lot of competition for touches. Uh, and with the way Jimmy Garoppolo look, has looked in training camp, and it's an offense where there is some volume to go around. But, um, I, do, I do think, though, that you know Kyle Shanahan, wherever he's gone, has like cobbled together really good running games, even if it was like, you know, an, an undrafted rookie or some washed up veteran uh, that his zone heavy scheme really, really does wonders. At least there's some slight value there. Mm-hmm. You can get him now. Fantasy football zone again, talking to Jerry Donabedian, rotowire.com and on the wide receiver side of things, who's rising up the board. The wide receivers have been a little more stable. Obviously we've got, uh, got Josh Gordon rising, but I think we'll get to that later. Yep, yep. I guess one guy who's maybe rising a little would be Tyrell Williams, just because of the uncertainty over Antonio Brown. And I think it, it now, of course, it looks like Brown is back at practice with a league approved helmet but still trying to get his not-league-approved helmet approved. So for the moment, the drama's over, but like last time this happened and they didn't approve his helmet, he kind of threw like another hissy fit and left. Uh, so we'll see. I think when all is said and done that Antonio Brown will be playing for the Raiders in week one, the question is like, how well does he know the offense, mm-hmm. having been away from the team for all this time and being on a new team and John Gruden's system being like notorious for having this terminology to learn. I know Brown's a veteran and you know, he's been in a complicated offense before. Uh, but yeah, you look at then, you know, if he's not going to take some time to gear up, who else are they going to throw to? Uh, and it's, it's pretty grim. Tyrell Williams is really the only other established guy they have. And Jerry, while we're on wide receivers, want to get your take on the third-year wide receiver rule. I know I believe in this. Again, this is from the third year you've been drafted, and there's been studies showing that guys can really put up big productive years in that third year because they got the system down pat. And if you already look at this list, there's some guys that have already have done this, including Juju, Cooper Cup as well before the injury. Some of the other names on this list this year, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, Curtis Samuel, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, D.D. Westbrook, a lot of talent there. And uh, some of these guys could put up big numbers this year. And if you believe in that rule, that could help you out in the draft. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a great, that was a really strong draft of wide receivers. I mean, we saw some guys like Juju and Cup really come out of the gate strong and then take that second step, that 
second step in their second season. Uh, Cup obviously got hurt to cut that short, but he was on pace for just a massive year. And yeah, I think in general, when you're looking for those third year breakouts or even, you know, fourth year, although you're right, that it usually happens within the first three years. Uh, You want to look for guys who have at least like some level of production. Now, even if it's just like 500 yards, like we don't, we saw with Nelson Aguilar and Devin Funches a few years back that they kind of had these like mini third year breakouts after doing just absolutely nothing for two years. But that's definitely the exception rather than the rule. So someone even like D.D. Westbrook, who doesn't seem to have much hype right now, he did have about 700 yards last year in a really bad offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'd look at him as being a guy who can take another step forward. Maybe doesn't quite have the upside of, you know, a Chris Godwin or Kenny Galladay, guys who we've already seen scoring touchdowns, putting up 100-yard gains. But you're also getting a D.D. Westbrook, a Curtis Samuel a lot later in your draft. I got to get your take on Chris Godwin. I see he's... To me, he's going pretty high in some of these drafts. I mean, third round, fourth round. I mean, that means he's either going to be your wide receiver two or maybe in some cases one. To me, it seems a little high for him, but uh, maybe not. Tell me your opinion. It's it's funny you ask uh, because, yeah, we were just talking about wide receivers who were rising. His name didn't come to mind, but he's a guy who does seem to be kind of like slowly over time from where he was a couple months ago has probably gone up like a full 10 picks on average. Uh, with no, there haven't there hasn't been any injury. Uh, it's not like Mike Evans. He has a minor thing right now, but he's it's not like Mike Evans or OJ Howard is expected to miss time or they made any big trade. It's sort of just been hype, like you know stuff coming from the media about him practicing well um, and sort of fantasy people, fantasy writers um, and podcasters, like guys like yes. us, you know, talking about him a lot. <laughs> uh, so I think it's it's borderline because I do I do really buy into him but when you start talking about pushing an unproven guy up to the same range of guys who have like basically if you're drafting him at where you hope he'll get or you know his production like you're drafting him in the same range as other guys who have done 1200 yards and eight touchdowns i think you've got to drop him around from that like fourth round is like the absolute highest i'd go and Hopefully you're getting him in the fifth. Fantasy Football Zone. Again, we are talking with Jerry Donabedian, rotowire.com. i got to ask you about A.J. Green in that situation. Yes, the injury is going to knock him out the first, it looks like, three games of the season at least. But that talent, it is slipping in the draft. I know in some drafts he's usually going to sixth or seventh round pretty late. And if you look at the board, you look at the talent, and you're like, this guy should not be here. I know the injury is scaring a lot of people off. But if you're thinking long-term and you're trying to win that championship, it would be nice to have him in your lineup down the stretch. I know with the injury concerns, it's not going to be bank on it that he's going to be there, but I see a lot of value in that pick. What's your thoughts on that, Jerry? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one where, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of him because he's been, he's had a bunch of injuries sort of in the latter half of his career. And with the current issue, they've said he's out at least a couple games. But, yeah, certainly if you can draft him as your third, even fourth receiver, and then you bring him into your starting lineup for, you know, going into your playoff run, that's obviously a a great look to have if A.J. Green's your third. I think in that case, it almost becomes less about, like, exactly the round where he's going and more about 
what league I'm in, what the settings of the league are, and who are my competition. Uh, you know, in some leagues, you might be in a league where you you kind of know, like, the competition isn't that great, and you're probably going to be in the playoffs. Like, you know, you'll just probably outmanage the other guys in the league on the waiver wire, uh, and that there's maybe just a few gimmies in the league, like people who are just, just in it for fun, don't really know their stuff. And that kind of format, if I'm like, well, I'm going to be in the playoffs anyway, then I'll take an A.J. Green, because it'll be great to have him in the lineup there. Uh, or maybe maybe like a league that's like a 10-team league with four-team playoffs. I don't really care if I'm sure my lineup looks like when I get there. On the other hand, you talk about a 12- or 14-team league with six-team playoffs. All of a sudden, I care a lot more about how high I finish in the standings because the first and second team get that bye week, which we know is very valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, any any week, especially in fantasy football, any team can lose to anyone. So I start to start to consider things like that and my roster construct. Up next, I want to get your thoughts on Emmanuel Sanders coming back on that Achilles injury and uh, had a great performance Monday Night Football as well. And he's been going late in drafts, but I suspect that might be changing here. Your thoughts on Emmanuel Sanders, Jerry? Yeah, I think he had been picking up steam even before that. And then certainly Monday we saw him start. He took an end around, uh, avoided a couple tacklers on that. Then he had a 45-yard contested catch that was wiped out by a penalty, not on him, on an offensive line penalty. Uh, which it was really shocking to me to see that this 32-year-old wide receiver, less than nine months after tearing his Achilles, was out there looking this, basically the same that he looked as a healthy 31-year-old a year before. Uh, so he's someone that I've really been staying away from. Just when you look at the severity of those Achilles injuries, a lot of times guys, even after they get healthy, they suffer injuries the next year back. There's been some weakening of the muscles around the injury because they were off their feet for so long at the beginning of the rehab. Um, and sometimes it can just kind of like change your running gait a little bit. It can lead to hip issues or other hamstring issues. But he seems to have avoided all that and looks healthy. I still think given his age and what we end of last season with the injury, there is some elevated risk. Uh, but, you know, you're gonna when you're drafting someone as late as he's going, there's always going to be some kind of risk, whether it's age, injury, unproven. So I think now, yeah, you have to start looking at picking him up as like a fourth wide receiver with even Joe Flacco being the quarterback. There's some upside there. You Man, you just still can't. You got to hammer Flacco any chance you get, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a, uh, as a Ravens fan. I mean, hey, I appreciate it. He won he a did. Super Bowl yeah. for you. He did. No, no, I appreciate him. I'll, I'll always be a Joe Flacco fan. I, I just, he, he, since 2014, he was, you know, up through then he was, solid and the last you know four years he really wasn't 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 very good i'm a little confused why a team would even uh <laughs> even trade trade away case keenum to get joe flacco i think at best that's a lateral move might even be a slight downgrade i think i guess their thinking is that for their specific system they want to run the big armed quarterback uh, is more valuable than like the mobile short passer so i'm not i'm not too confident in that but hey i think emmanuel sanders can make it work enough to get that like 800 900 yard range up next jerry want to cover some of the articles you got up right now rotowire.com including a piece on discussing where josh gordon should be drafted i have struggled with this one in mock drafts I see him in the 10th and 11th round, and I'm comparing the talent. No way he should be going that late, but it's all the off-the-field stuff you got to throw in there. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, Gordon, uh, he was, before this reinstatement news, he was going undrafted in a lot of leagues or in like deep formats, some of the deeper leagues that I've been drafting in. 
I was drafting him regularly, like around 200 to 220 overall. Yeah. Like in the same range where people are taking like a, you know, a backup defense or a running back who might not even survive roster cut. And then one of the drafts I was in, one of the slow drafts that I discussed earlier, after the news broke on Friday, someone immediately took him at 61 overall. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, that guy got Gordon. Like I was hoping... After I saw the news, like I was hoping I'd get him, but then I kind of thought about it for a second. I was like, wait a sec. I was picking 67. I was like, do I really want to pick Josh Gordon that high? I was like, no, no, I, I, I don't. That's a little little bit too early. Uh, certainly in terms of the talent, he's better than that. But, you know, getting reinstated doesn't mean that he will stay unsuspended. And, he, you know, it's a little bit late in, like, the preseason process where he might need to be eased into his role the first week or two of the regular season. Uh, so that's a little bit of a factor. And so I think that that sort of early, you know, pushing people pushing up to like the sixth, seventh round has faded. I think he's probably maybe a little more reasonable now than to fall back to like that eighth to tenth range. Um, and, and I am comfortable picking him there. So I think there's a little, um, little concern right now over him being on the non-football injury list. I'm not not quite clear what that's about. That might just be kind of like a transactional sort of procedural thing. It's not really there. hasn't been any report of an injury yet. So let's say they switch him off that list before the weekend starts. And again, this weekend, big draft weekend coming up. Do you think people then are going to get really excited about that? And maybe he's going in that fifth to seventh round range? Uh, yeah, I think I don't know about fifth, but it, I mean, it, it could happen. Yeah, I think we've kind of seen the, in the last like, five days, I think what I've kind of seen is like any news involving Josh Gordon is going to, like we're almost conditioned to overreact to it. Like he went, he was going too low. He went from instantly going too low to way too low, like around 200 overall to then, you know, people taking him in the 60s, which seems too early for a guy who would be suspended for the season at, you know, at any point in time. Uh, to then, oh, well, he's on the NFI, which probably really doesn't mean anything. Belichick had some quotes that was kind of like an empty air coach speak, but I think it seemed like some people, you know, got a little worried about it. Uh, and then, you know, instantly he drops a few rounds. It's almost like anything that happens with this guy is going to, like, drastically alter his value. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens if he is out there week one and he, like, has a big game. People are, like, trying to trade Julio Jones for him or something crazy like that. There, that's going to happen in some league. I know it. It's it, it just it's ten. It's it's going to happen. We know that. So check out that article, rotowire.com from Jerry, and also this one as well. Looking at some of the meaningful playing time situations from preseason week two. Yeah, what can we gauge from this? You have an interesting theory about this. Share that with us. Yeah, I think I think you know the thing we always hear is that preseason doesn't matter, um, and then sort of the argument. Well, actually, it does matter, um, and sort of you're just from watching over the years. You know, I think the score really doesn't matter. They've even like done studies showing correlation between preseason record and regular season record for teams, and it's like extremely. There's a very very slight correlation, uh, but not not something that we would really consider predictive. Um, and, you know, same thing with player stats. Like, I don't care if some guy puts up seven catches for 110 yards and a touchdown in the preseason. Uh, it just doesn't matter. It's a small sample. Even if he's playing with his team's starters or second string, he might be going up against the other team's fourth string. There's not necessarily, like, a, an agreement between coaches that, okay, we're going to play our starters at the same time as your starters, second string at the same time. Like, guys get rotated in and out. Um, what I do think, however, is that we can pick up in some cases, if we're cautious about how we apply it and evaluate it, 
we can pick up hints on how coaches plan to use their players. If we look at the snaps where they're just using their starters, when they've got the starting offensive lineman in, um, sometimes the starting quarterback, a lot of times we'll get hints particularly about how they plan to use running backs and what players they plan to use in certain situations. Like, will this starting tight end stay on the field for a third and long, or will he be brought off the field for someone who's maybe a little smaller quicker, better receiver, but not as good of a blocker, that type of thing. I think there's not much advantage to hiding that information in the preseason, the same way there's, you know, coaches aren't going to put out their best play calls, their best route combinations. But I do think that we can get hints about who will be on the field, you know, first and 10 versus who will be on the field for third and seven, that type of thing. And I also think this is important too, especially with the, all the new coaching changes, new systems around the league, and you're trying to understand how now is this going to you know affect some players? You know, Tampa Bay has got Bruce Arians. We've got the air raid offense in Arizona. Uh, the Packers' new offense with Matt LaFleur. You're trying to figure out all these things that involve a lot of guys in fantasy and trying to evaluate them. And I... I do believe you're you're on to something where, yeah, if you look at these packages where some of these guys are going, you might get a good indication on uh, how things are going to go in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, you know, it's there's not a huge advantage to, for example, uh, last last couple of years we saw the Bucks under Dirk Cutter using O.J. Howard and Cameron Braid in a rotation. Like they would just take, which kind of sounds crazy, like who would want to take O.J. Howard off the field? But that's that's what they did. Uh, and then this preseason, we've seen the under Arians, they've had 22 snaps with the first-team offense, right, where Jameis Winston and the starting linemen are in. And O.J. Howard has played 20 of those 22. Uh, so that's kind of a signal that, I, you know, I don't can't say it's going to be also going to be 90-plus percent in the regular season, but there's not really any advantage to be gained strategically by making them think O.J. Howard's going to be out there more and then taking him off less. Like, it's a pretty good sign that, you know, now Bruce Arians wants O.J. Howard on the field for first and ten. He wants him on the field for fourth and short. He wants him on the field for third and five. Like, it doesn't matter. He wants this guy on the field all the time the same way that he wants Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the field. Uh, And that's important because, you know, even on those running situations, you are going to see some play action, especially from a coach like Bruce Arians who loves to throw the ball and throw it deep. And O.J. Howard, a tight end, who can stretch the team and go down the field. So I think just in terms of your target projections, just being on the field all the time is a very good thing for that. Once again, great stuff from Jerry Donabedian at rotowire.com. And, yeah, check out his great articles up right now. Again, rotowire.com. Great stuff he's got up there, fantastic points, and again, just trying to help you out win the draft this year. So again, big thanks, Jerry Donabedian, rotowire.com. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Fantasy Football Zone. Once again, yeah, busy week ahead here. A lot of drafts taking place. Most importantly, have fun. It's always a great time with friends and family. So again, the best of luck in your draft. In fact, if you have an insane draft, or you just want to share your draft results with us, you can do so. Again, share it to us at Draft That Guy on Twitter. Love to see what your roster is looking like heading into week one right after the draft. Love to see those rosters. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Draft That Guy. This is PJ wrapping up Fantasy Football Zone. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at Draft That Guy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.